What is happening, everyone? I am Colby Daniels along with Will Brewer. We are back after a, uh, well, I guess we were back a few weeks ago for two weeks at least, and then another week off for the UFC to start this 2022 year. And uh, we have another fight card on Saturday. We've got to review the pay-per-view from two weeks ago, give our picks this week, discuss a lot of other things. But Will Brewer, good to see your face. What's happening, my friend? Yeah, you know, I think the UFC just wanted to give us a slight little break because we had some, we had two spectacular main events. That pay-per-view was awesome. Uh, they just wanted to give us a little bit of a break before we go into these, uh, the psychopaths that we have in the main event this coming Saturday. So uh, I think it, I think we needed it, and now we got to watch some good football, some great football over the course of those couple weeks, and now That's right. we're back to the UFC. That's right. Uh, part of me, like, you know, especially in January, we have this month-long break between, you know, the end of the year and the start of the new year, and then you have two weeks on and then another week off, and, and part of me was like, ugh, but when you factor in the NFL playoffs, it it all makes sense, and uh, look, we'll get into part of that, you know, the scheduling Francis Ngannou versus the NFL playoffs uh, is, is maybe uh, somewhat of a uh, strategic move by the UFC, but yeah, it kind of feels like we are... Uh, like moving back into card after card after card territory again and, and having the UFC on a weekly basis. Yeah. You know, the more that I thought about the UFC 270 card, what it looked like originally, uh, like before, you know, the whole contract stuff was really coming to a head. Uh, that was a pretty solid card. There's a lot of fights that was pulled off of this card. Uh, and you know, the, the second biggest draw, unfortunately that was going to be on this card is, was, uh, Greg Hardy. And he, uh, got off the card. You know, so many, so many fights. They moved Cannoneer Brunson. You know, uh, Taporia was got off the card. There, there was a lot of really solid matchups. And then uh, you just you you go into the fight with just two really big title fights. Don't get me wrong; those were two big title fights. But then the rest of the card was kind of, you know, not not much star power. That's not anything that's going to make yeah. you want to say like, "Oh, I really want to watch this." And then you put that up against the NFL, <laughs> the NFL playoffs. So I mean, it wasn't a good recipe for success as far as. Uh, pay-per-view buy, pay-per-view buys i'm sure yeah uh it's 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 again the dana white francis and ganu thing is something we're going to discuss but just in terms of ufc 270 and you know that card look i enjoyed the fight card i i watched it from start to finish i was all in and i had that going simultaneously while i was watching the nfl on another television but t- to your point about star power i mean if you stack ufc 270 against any pay-per-view from 2021, it's not even close. It feels like a fight night card compared to the blockbuster pay-per-view cards that we had in 2021. And and you can't help but feel like that in, in some way is trying to stack the deck against Francis Ngannou's, you know, sellability, I guess, and the whole contract situation. But what a, what an embarrassment, right? Like, to, to try and play it off. Again, I'm not I'm not complaining that I didn't enjoy the card, but... To kind of play it off like you're you're giving Francis Ngannou the best opportunity to uh, to sell a pay per view in comparison to every other pay per view we've watched for the last year or even two years. That's that's an absolute joke. Yeah, that's 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 bullshit. That's what it is. Uh, like, look, man. Like you said, all the cards from two from 2021 were stacked. I mean, all every single one of them. If, if it even looked like there were some fights that was coming off the card, there would be like some replacement fights. You know, there would be something like you like we uh, the last four months of the year, September, October, November, those those four cards that we had, yeah. 
those were some of the the best cards. Uh, just stacked from top to bottom. The prelims, the the early prelims, like they all were stacked. But now you go and now Francis has this uh, dispute with the UFC, and they want to make it come out as oh, it's a coincidence. Like we didn't mm-hmm. plan for this to happen. Like come on, man. All of a sudden, you have all these stacked cards, and then you you have a you have a conflict with the heavyweight champion, and all of a sudden, this particular card is you know kind of light, you know, in terms of the name and star power. Yeah. When you had Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier, who were practically begging to be on this card, they were practically begging to fight each other. Dustin was all in. He was like, oh, I, th- I think we're going to fight uh, in Anaheim at, at 270. I, I need to, you know, I know I just fought, but I just need to, you know, I don't have to cut any weight. Like, he was preparing to fight on this card. You know, I don't know what all happened, you know, in terms of the, dis- of the discussions and everything, but it didn't seem like the UFC had any sense of urgency to make this fight happen. And I feel like uh, a lot of that had to do with Francis Ngannou. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you go back to when Francis beat Stipe and became champion and just the superstar that was emerging up to that point and then what that opportunity looked like in the aftermath of Francis Ngannou being the most dangerous man walking the planet, right? The heavyweight champion in the UFC. And then like a few months later, we have an interim title fight. Like, what is that? That was the first sign. Like, okay, the UFC is doing their thing. Dana White's doing his thing to start to begin to stack the deck against Francis. I mean, that's complete bullshit. Not that I didn't enjoy uh, Cyril Gaon and, and Derek Lewis battling it out. I was I was psyched for that fight. That was an awesome matchup, and uh, what a performance by Gaon. And I'm a big Gaon fan as well. Like, I like the guy, but, I mean, that was that was the first sign of all of all of this stuff happening and and everybody call it you know it's like a we're gonna unify the the championship what no there is a champion this is ridiculous and the lack of promotion leading up to UFC 270 for Francis Ngannou uh putting it head to head with the NFL playoffs the card itself not even close to any I mean there were five I I think there were probably five pay-per-view cards in 2021 alone that I mean, we had the conversation. Is this one of the greatest pay-per-view cards from a star power standpoint in UFC history? Like, probably five times last year we asked that question. And then you get to UFC 270, and again, it's it's no disrespect to the fighters that were on that card, but in terms of sellability and star power, it was like a random fight night card. I mean, outside of the two fights at the end of the thing. it was It was mind-blowing to me. And then I think when you kind of add it all up and arrive at, what happened on fight night with Dana White putting the strap around Davis and Figueredo in the co-main event? He's not even in the octagon for the main event. Doesn't show up for the press conference. There's a leaked text message that, uh, you know, maybe Dana White sent to to Francis Ngannou's manager. Like, what a joke this is. And I know he did that whole ESPN thing and w- said he was attending to something back in the back, like in the back, right? Is that what what it was? I mean, yeah. What? Okay. Look, <laughs> I'm willing to believe that at times there are coincidences. Like I understand that sometimes coincidences happen, but come on, man, you can't tell me that everything I just mentioned leading up to this whole thing. And then the way that it went, like all of that is just a coincidence. Like every single one of these things is just a coincidence. Like that's complete bullshit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not all of these are just coincidences. Like, he tried to like the. I felt like the interview itself, the fact that he did the interview with Laura Sanko, the uh, the little Q and A thing, 
the fans were were outraged that he didn't uh, put the title on Francis. They were outraged that he didn't speak uh, in the presser. I felt like he he knew that he had to go in and address the fans and address something, so he had to do the the Q and A. So I felt like that was a little fishy in itself. And Lord didn't even ask him about it. He kind of just went on. He's like, oh, I'm, I, I know these these fans need to hear from me and all this stuff. And then he just kind of went and said what he said. I mean, I had to deal with something in the back, not not giving any context of what that was. I mean, he did, he doesn't really owe that to us, but you know, still. Right. You want you want to know like at, at least what is so what was so important backstage that you had to leave the main event the of uh, the, the heavyweight championship fight why did you have to leave and then you know not put the belt on the on the champion and then not even come, show up to the press conference like what was so important like someone had like there had to have been like a a, a brawl backstage like did Connor come back and throw a dolly at a bus like uh you know something along those lines but if, if it wasn't that. I mean, what could it have possibly been to where you couldn't have had somebody else go take care of it? Like, why did Dana White, why did the president of the UFC have to go while the main event of the evening is happening? I, I don't understand it. You know, uh, it couldn't have been just a coincidence, man. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, the you know, it makes too much sense that he decided to leave and then just, you know, Francis won. So he don't even want to mess with putting the belt around him. I mean, it, it, everything makes sense. The whole coincidence thing, that just, it doesn't add up, man. Yeah. It just doesn't add so up. So you're telling me there was something in the back that was so pressing that you missed both the main event situation and a press conference? Like, it took you the entire night? <laughs> right. I mean, I, if there were something that pressing, I feel like there would be some sort of leak as to what a serious situation right. was happening. Like, maybe the place was on fire, that somebody would have some yeah, sort right. of idea that, like, this took hours out of Dana White's night, right? Like, and again, this is on the heels of everything that happened with the interim title fight to, you know, the way that this card was stacked to the the contract disputes and, and the entire, as we just described it, the entire thing. Uh, you can't have all these random coincidences like, well, it just kind of worked out that way. Unfortunately, it just worked out that this wasn't a great card because we had all these these, you know, fighters having to drop out or, uh, you know, the scheduling of when it had to take place or blah. Like, there's no way there's that many coincidences. You can't have like 10 coincidences in the same thing. Like maybe one or two of those things could be a coincidence, but not all of those are coincidences. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, now that I think about it, uh, when Francis beat Stipe uh, for the heavyweight title back in, what was that? That was 2021, wasn't it? That was just last year. Yeah. Yeah, that was last year. That card wasn't, wasn't, wasn't stacked. I don't feel like that card was overly stacked either. I, I, I feel like we had just a, just one title fight, and we had, um, I want to say that this was the night that Vicente Luque beat Tyron Woodley, and then the main event was Stipe and Francis. But if I remember correctly, that that card wasn't stacked either. Uh, I, I'm pulling it up right now. Okay, we had, uh, it was Nganu, Stipe, Luque, Woodley was the co-main. I mean, Sean O'Malley was on the card. Um, Miranda Maverick, Jillian Robertson. Jamie Malarkey, comma worthy. That's your that's your main card lineup. So, I mean, in comparison to the to all the cards that yeah. we had, yeah, twenty twenty one, that one was one of the more you know. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. I, this might be this might this, this isn't a coincidence. I don't feel like yeah. Danny wants to talk about coincidences. I don't feel like this is a coincidence. The fact that that card wasn't stacked, and the fact that this card wasn't stacked, and yeah. then uh, you know, Francis asked to fight in September, right? The UFC wanted to put Francis and Derek Lewis in Houston so bad that they had an interim title fight and put Cyril Gane in the main event. Not because not because Francis wasn't willing to fight, not because Francis had an injury, 
You know, not because of anything else. Only because they wanted Francis and Derek to headline in Houston. That's the only reason. And then you get an interim title fight, uh, Cyril and Derek Lewis. I mean, and then, you know, he wins the title. And then John Jones is supposed to be next. You have all these uh, financial issues and, you know, issues with John Jones getting into, getting into the octagon again. So, I mean, there's so much that Francis had to deal with just even getting into this fight, man. It's, it's crazy. And then at the end of it all, I mean, you can't respect the guy enough for everything that you put the guy through over the last year to just put the title around his waist and then, you know, answer a few questions. I mean, granted, the, the media probably would have asked him some really tough questions. But come on, man. Yeah. I would have under, understood if you put the title around him and missed the presser. Out of my eye, but the fact that you didn't put the title around him and Mr. President, it's just all yeah. it just it's a, it's a really bad look. I don't even care necessarily as much about him doing either one of those things as like him playing this whole charade of like something happened. Like, dude, don't lie to us on top of all of it, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, just ca- just call it, call it what it is. Yeah, yeah. Just, Call it what it is, and and uh, you know let's uh, let's just put it out there because everybody understands what the situation is. But we're gonna we're gonna like play the charade and uh, and act like no, there's not an issue. I love Francis and Ganu. We're like best friends. It just so happened that you know something went down, and uh, you know all these things that have happened over the last year in regards to Francis and Ganu, the negotiations, everything that we've done from our side, the lack of promotion for this thing, the card, me not being in the octagon, me not sitting behind a microphone, all of those are just coincidences. Like, just call it what it is, man. Just call it what it is. The, the, the bad part about it is uh, Dana is one of those promoters that we get to, like, see him. We get to know him. He's in front yeah. of the cameras. He's doing interviews. He does interviews all the time. Uh, he's not one of those guys who kind of just lays back and doesn't really do too much. I feel like he kind of puts himself out there. So, you know, the, the, especially the hardcore fans like you and I, we kind of get a feel of what, of how Dana really is. So the fact that he didn't, when he, when he does all these interviews, he's, he's so accessible. And then for the fact that he just can't be at a time like this, in, in this moment, yeah. you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. It's just a really bad look. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, on top of it all, he's kind of, I mean, I, I think one reason why a lot of MMA fans have an appreciation for Dana is because generally he does call it like it is. He's a, he's a pretty no bullshit kind of guy. Right. And I appreciate that about him. Like, I, I don't feel like most of the time he sugarcoats things. He calls it like it is. And in this situation, for whatever reason, uh, it's not that way at all. And it feels um, very unauthentic from him when he is generally the most authentic guy in the room. Yeah, he normally doesn't ever shy away from from stuff like this. Like if there was a, a contract dispute uh, with someone else, uh, I'm trying to think of, the, uh, of an example, but um, he, he normally never shies away from that. And uh, he answered some questions about it in the lead up to the fight and everything with Francis. Uh, he did say that they went to dinner and, and everything, and he, he thought that things went well. Uh, but, I, you know, I just feel like the fact that they didn't have a deal done, I think that really threw him for a loop because, you know, this is uncharted waters that we're in now. Like the thing that what Francis pulled off, no one gets to this point. Yeah. Uh, something always happens, whether it's uh, someone just loses, the fight gets canceled and never happens. You know, something always happens to where we don't get to this far. Now, Francis has done something no one's ever done. He's went to battle with the UFC, and for the most part, he's won. He's won everything. So if I'm Dana, you know, I'm just like, damn, he really pulled this shit off. And, you yeah. know, so, you know, all that makes sense to why he didn't, uh, you know, go to the presser and why he didn't put the title around his waist, but that's still uh, still a horrible look on his part. 
what 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 was your reaction to the leaked text message? Oh man, I was that was disgusting, man. Yeah. Uh, that I mean, I don't know who it was from, you know, but it was a Vegas area coach, so you know, it could have been anybody. I mean, people are going to point to Dana, but you know, it could have been anybody. Could have sure. been someone that works for the UFC, but you know, just you know, to call out his manager like that, to you know, say some of those disgusting remarks, to talk about Francis in that way, you know. I don't know who who it was from, but for me, I mean, I don't know how how eager I would be to do business with the UFC, especially if it was from someone from the UFC. You know, granted, I don't know who it was from, so you know that question has to be answered. But you know, also, you know, if I'm Francis, a part of me would just feel I would kind of laugh at it because you know I ended up winning at the end yeah. of the day. You know, yeah. we we went to war. Uh, you can say all this that you want, but we won. So you got to come and you have to do business with me. Uh, I, I'm still your heavyweight champion. So I don't know, man, but that, that whole text message was, was really disgusting. It was really bad. Yeah. Uh, how could, how could someone, uh, how could someone disrespect Francis and his team in that way? I mean, it's, it's so, it was just so bad. It was, so disrespectful, so disgusting. I mean, well, I mean, that, no that's disrespectful that, yeah. to in general, right? Whether it's Francis or not, that's just a disrespectful way. And a, I mean, it's a racist situation, right? Like, that, let's just call it what it is. Like, that's not okay in any scenario, much less like dealing with, uh, I, I mean, I don't know that it's an employee type thing, but I mean, however you want to call it, right? Like business negotiation or whatever, like that's not okay in any circumstance, much less a a working environment circumstance it just again we don't know who it's from the allegations are that uh or the the twitter rumor mill is that uh that was from dana white but uh there's no there's no concrete evidence that that is the case but either way i mean whoever it's from what an embarrassment and again that leaked uh, like the night that all of this went down where dana white's not in the octagon he's not sitting behind a microphone in a press conference and then all of a sudden there's this text message and it's like it just it sounds like uh, when you see the text message, you, it it adds a little context into, I think, a just really how upset he was over this whole situation. Right. Even going into it, much less to have it not go his way. And it makes sense as to why it maybe looks like he was throwing a fit. Yeah. And, you know, I can't imagine what would have happened had Cyril gone one, you know, uh, granted, you know, at the end of the fight, I think we had a pretty good idea who, who won the fight. So that's what made, you know, him not being in the octagon very alarming to me. Um, but I feel like had Cyril Don, you know, kind of did his thing for five rounds, I, I feel like, you know, Dana White might have. I feel like Dana White might have, you know, been in the octagon and uh, put the belt around Cyril Don. Probably would have found a way to get back uh, from that dire situation that was happening backstage. Yeah. I feel like if Cyril Don had been the winner, I feel like Dana White probably would have been uh, in the octagon. But. You know, it's just it's just tough, man. Uh, you know, all of this stuff looks bad. And that, that's one thing that that he never addressed was the text message. Um, I feel like that's something that he should um, say, like, this wasn't for me. Uh, I had nothing to do with this. It's, you know, I feel like he should at least address that part because this is a this is a terrible look. And if and, you know, people, fighters, uh, you know, especially African-American fighters, if they wanted to, they could say, like, you know, Dana, you know, that's not a good look, you know, like. What, what's up what's up with that like how can you call you know someone what you call them so you know i, I would want to hear you know dana just kind of address that because you know we don't know who it's from but you know it, for now it's just 
it's just a big mystery. Like who's who's the text from? You know, yeah. He kind of uh, marked out the the full phone number, but he did leave out the uh, the area code, so it was a Vegas number. So all signs are pointing towards Dana White, but he hasn't addressed it. Right. So the you know the the genesis of all of this is obviously. Francis Ngannou's contract, and look, he's said that this goes beyond just the financial part of it. So, like, this is much bigger than just the dollar amount for Francis, uh, which, again, when you kind of, like, the text message is a perfect example of this. It makes a lot of sense that it's not just a dollar thing. It's just the way he's treated in general in the UFC. Um, But if we want to just stick to the dollar part of this, $600,000 to Francis Ngannou for UFC 270 and look, there's a lot of conversations even today. I, I, I was reading this morning, actually, some Tyson Fury, Francis Ngannou stuff, right? The last time Tyson Fury was in a boxing ring, he made $30 million. His opponent, Deontay Wilder, do you know how much Deontay Wilder made, Will? Uh, $25 million. 20 Tyson Fury made $30 million. Deontay Wilder made $20 million. So combined, just that the main event... Not not the entire card, but just the main event was fifty million dollars. <laughs> so I, I was I was having a conversation about this a couple days ago, and here's what was thrown at me because this is really funny. It was thrown at me. Well, you know, a boxing card usually has what like five fights, maybe like total. And, you know, on these pay-per-view cards, you have like nine or ten or eleven or twelve. You have a lot more fighters to pay than a boxing card. Okay. Let's let's look at it from that standpoint. So Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder made fifty million dollars. Francis Ngannou made only six hundred, but Dana White's got to pay everybody else on the card, right? You know what the entire UFC two seventy card made? Every fighter that was on that card. You know what their total bill was? Uh, I'm just gonna throw a guess out there. They made uh, five million. Oh. <laughs> 1.8 million is the fi- entire <laughs> fighter payout for UFC 270. Wow. Every fighter and that was on that card, if you add up the entirety of what the, what they all made together, it all goes into one pot. The, the main event, the co-main event, and every fight that happened that night, the total fighter payout is 1.8 million. Deontay Wilder made 20 million. Tyson Fury made 30 million in, in a, a boxing match. Like... I don't know. I don't know what the numbers look like in terms of what the the Fury Wilder fight did pay per view wise in comparison to UFC 270. But I, I can't. I, there's no way that it was 48 million dollar difference. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's incredible. That's that's insane. Yeah. I mean, and granted, uh, Fury Wilder was probably uh, promoted way better. Um, there, it, it was promoted for months in advance. Uh, Francis and Cyril, I mean, we, th- there was no promotion on such a such a great matchup. I mean, yeah. Francis could be promoted so so much better than he is. I mean, in in this case, he's not really being promoted at all. And in his first title defense against the guy who was who's undefeated, who is uh, as good of a striker that we've ever seen in the heavyweight division. I mean, that when you hear Joe Rogan sell this fight in the little pre in the little pre fight package, put that on a commercial, and people yeah. will want to buy the fight. Yeah. People will want to buy the fight because Joe Rogan, when he when he speaks and he uh, talks so passionately and he gets so excited about these fights. I mean, when he talks about Francis and Cyril, I mean, you can just see, you can hear, you can feel like the magnitude of this fight in his voice. But just put that on a 30 second commercial. People will want to buy the fight, but they didn't do 
any of that for Francis and Cyril. Um, so when you when you when you tell me about Francis or about Fury and Wilder, I mean, and then and then I heard um, Eddie Hearn uh, on a on a podcast the other day, and he said uh, that one of the big differences is that uh, in his mind uh, he felt like boxing and uh, and the the fighter and the promoter when, in terms of boxing, the the fighter will get eighty percent and the promoter the promotion will get twenty percent. But in the UFC, it's in reverse. Like the promotion gets eighty percent, and the fighters get twenty percent. Like if you just like kind of even that out, I mean, I don't feel like UFC fighters would be would be comp- complaining about pay that much. But when fighters see yeah. uh, boxers making millions of dollars for fights that aren't even as big as the fights that they're doing, right? Like, um, uh, like Deontay Wilder's or not Deontay Wilder, Francis Gunn who's not Francis. God dang. Tyson Fury is about to defend this title against against Dylan White. That fight is nowhere close to uh, what Francis is with Stipe or Francis and, and Cyril Gaon. Right. Like we all we already know Tyson Fury is probably going to run through this guy. But Tyson Fury is about to make another 30 million dollars. And, and this Dylan White guy, uh, I'm sure he's good, but he's about to make like 15 million dollars to fight Tyson Fury. But you got Francis and Gaon who's about who's only making six hundred thousand dollars to to fight an undefeated Muay Thai master in Cyril Ghosn or, or 600,000 or 500,000 to, uh, to win the heavyweight title against the most decorated heavyweight champion of all time. Like that stuff just doesn't add up. And, you know, the UFC is doing great things. I mean, the, the, the cards that they put on, it's great, but the, you know, the, the pay structure that, I mean, yeah. it, it, they got to do something about that, man. Dylan White's going to make $7.4 million. And if he wins, he'll get an additional $4 million. Like, so, come, like, come on. But just for Francis showing up, he's, yeah, just for showing up, he's going to get 7.4. And again, it's not just Francis Ngannou. The entire UFC 270 card made 1.8 million. The entire card combined, 1.8 million. That's crazy to me. Yeah, it's it, it's bad, man. And then uh, I think I saw that uh, Figueredo and Moreno, who just fought, you know, a trilogy. They only made like I feel like it, I think it said Figueredo and Moreno both only made like one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, something for like a that. trilogy. Yeah, so, like come on, man. Like we got we have to start treating these fighters a, a little bit better. I will say, um, I heard uh, somebody one of the fighters was talking about the pay structure, and they said on the way up, like it, it makes sense. Uh, you know, five hundred, two fifty, one hundred, whatever the case is. Like on the way up, it makes sense for sure. But when you become when you become champion, when you become in that upper echelon, when you become the champion, or when you become a star, a legitimate star, when you get a number I mean, next pe- to your name, right? When you get a number next to your name, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up. Like uh, Kamaru Usman is just now starting to get the pay that that he really should deserve. Yeah, and he's had to, and he's had to do how much? Like he's had to defend his title three times. He's had to do all this, but there's a reason why he's calling out Canelo Alvarez. It's not the fact that he really thinks that he can beat him, but it's the fact that Canelo is the biggest draw in boxing, and that if he just Shows up to fight him, Kamaru Usman's gonna make life changing money. Like, yeah, they like the UFC did something when they when they let Conor McGregor fight Floyd Mayweather. Conor McGregor made life changing money, and and I didn't know this, but they split that down the middle. Conor made fifty percent of it, and the UFC made the other fifty percent of it. Like that's still life changing money for Conor. But come on, man. I mean, these other fighters who are who, like Francis, like Kamaru, these guys who are really making a name for themselves in the UFC, these guys who are becoming superstars, they deserve like some. Uh, uh, more of the pay, man. Like, uh, Connor's not the only superstar in the UFC. And I feel like the UFC is doing their best to kind of hold these guys back because of what Connor did. You know, Connor, what, what Connor did was unprecedented. And some of these guys are trying to, are trying to take that blueprint 
and uh, make something happen for themselves. But the UFC is like, man, we did a whole lot for Conor. You know, we I don't think we want to go down that route again. So these guys who are, who are really stars like the Francis, Kamaru, Israel, like they they're kind of getting held back by the UFC. And, and now it's really becoming a problem. I don't think we're going to see Francis fight again this year. When I don't, I don't know how I don't know if there's a percentage that I can agree with you more. I mean, I'm like one million percent. We're yeah. not going to see Francis fight. I mean, even without the injury, I didn't think he was going to fight. But especially with this injury and the fact that, uh, you know, it, with his contract being over at the end of the year, I don't feel like he was going to fight anyway. But now that he's got an injury, he's 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 delaying surgery until March. So and then the surgery is going to take yeah. however long for him to even get back. So he's definitely not fighting again this year. Right. I mean, I think average, just average expectancy is what at least six months, right after the surgery. So yeah, yeah. six months uh, just for him to get back into like full fledged training, right? And then he has to have a camp, and then you know, yeah. yeah so yeah, he's not finding it this year. Yeah, he's done. And uh, look, I mean, there's a very real possibility that's the last time Francis Ngannou's inside the octagon. With with the way that this whole thing is going, I mean, the fact that he's got the injury now, there is a legitimate reason for them to actually have an interim champion. But I feel like with this, with this whole situation, I think the injury is the only thing that kind of gives the UFC a little bit of leverage because they can strip him of the title eventually. And I feel like that's kind of the route we're headed. I feel yeah. like um, I feel like we're going down the route of Francis is eventually going to be stripped of the title, and then we'll see a John Jones, Steve Hapiocic super fight uh, for the heavyweight title, for the undisputed heavyweight title. I don't think that those two guys will fight for the interim title. I think it'll be for the undisputed title. I think they will fight for the interim title. And then at the end of this year, the UFC is just going to say that that is the, they'll just kind of parlay that into, okay, that's now the champion. That, yeah, that makes sense too. Yeah. Because I, I think part of this is they're on the wrong side of the Nganu thing now. They're not going to strip him until like, you know, the contract's over, right? Like, I don't think like in, in, july they're you know they're just going to be like okay we're, we're taking it away because uh, that would be an even worse look so i think they will yeah. do an interim fight and then you know when francis is done at the end of this year they're just going to say you know we're stripping his title and we're making whoever had won the interim the you know that's they're now the undisputed champ yeah that that makes that makes more sense i mean i i felt like um you know if they were to fight in july which would be international fight week um i i was under the impression that they wouldn't want to have an interim title fight be like the big main attraction fight. But I feel like they just want to get um, a, another option out there for whenever the end of the year comes, and yeah. then they can strip them. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, or whenever it happens. You know, it could happen at, at any point. But, yeah, it's uh, what, a, what, a, what a weird thing. We've spent 30 minutes talking about um, the, the dispute over money and contracts with – I think, you know, the, the baddest man on the planet and uh, we haven't even mentioned the fight yet. Right. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that the performance that Francis put up, put out uh, a couple Saturdays ago, that should be the, the thing that the main thing that we're talking about, because we talked about this for 30 minutes and that's just a, a, not a small part, but that's just like half of what Francis had to deal with for this entire process. Like yeah. the, the contracts, uh, this whole Dana White thing with the manager, uh, his whole his coach, uh, Fernando Lopez, his, their rivalry, uh, just the the matchup with Surreal, how the puzzle that is Surreal gone, uh, Tyson Fury boxing talks like 
he had to deal with all of this. And then on top of that, we find out on fight day. Well, I didn't find out until I, I saw him walk out into the octagon yeah. about his knee. Yeah. Um, he walked out and he had those thick uh, knee knee pads on, and uh, the 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 uh, the announce team started talking about it, but. I didn't. I guess it had came out that he was hurt, but I had no idea. So I thought it was very alarming that he had those on. Uh, so then that's another thing that he had to factor into the equation. And then the fact that he fought the fight that he fought. I mean, the first two rounds are kind of going kind of how you expect or how I expected with surreal kind of uh, managing distance and uh, you know getting in and out, uh, avoiding being hit. Uh, Francis had to you know had to go into the well. He had to he had to throw out something else. He had to start wrestling. And when he brought that out, I mean, I was shocked. Yeah. <laughs> I was completely yeah. shocked by how the, the those last three rounds went, and the fact that he was able to control Surreal uh, for for three more rounds. It was just an incredible an incredible performance. And like I said on the last show we did, we're going to find out everything we need to know about Francis in this fight. And we definitely found out that Francis, uh, like he's he's never rattled it, it, when it comes to facing adversity. He will face it head on, like. His whole life story should be a movie. Like this guy yeah. had to escape uh, from Africa and France or whatever, and he had to go through all these loops, loops just to get to America. Uh, I mean, it's it's crazy. And you know, Francis, it's it's, it's fitting that Francis is the guy uh, that the UFC went to war with, and that Francis is actually actually one out of everyone. Like it just goes to show, Francis is a he's great, man. What a warrior. What he what he already overcame, right, is is by far more impressive than what he was facing in this situation with the contract and everything else. I mean, uh, he's you know he was prepared to you know fight this battle, if you will, uh, just based on on his life experiences uh, to get to this point, even. But yeah, as far as the fight, man, like I that early that day, I had saw a tweet that had said something along the lines of there might be some sort of injury. And I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't at least feel like it was something that I thought, okay, we're like, Francis is in trouble or this is something serious. And then he walks to the octagon and to your point, he's wearing the two knee pads. And I immediately was like, this is bad because it's such a significant injury that he's not wearing one knee pad. He's wearing two because you don't want to give away which knee is giving you the, I mean, it's bad enough that you, you are like at the point that we're not just going to like wrap this to take care of it like we need to put an knee pad on both knees because this is so serious that we absolutely can't give away which which leg is the issue because it's such an issue that that could be devastating to this fight so i immediately was like okay well i guess uh you know throw everything i thought about this fight out the window and you know again you could see in those first two rounds francis just didn't look explosive right and uh it, it looked like surreal gone was on his way to another you know, cruising to another victory the way that we've seen him over the last uh, couple years. And for Francis Ngannou all of a sudden to break out the grappling, I think I speak for every MMA fan watching that thing. Like, my jaw was on the floor like, holy cow, he's going to win this damn thing by grappling. And it's, what the hell is happening right now? Yeah, man. Like, look, I mean, going into the fight, we knew that it was a close matchup. But and and then going into the fight, we knew how much Francis had on his plate. But the injury part of this, like if we made our picks and stuff, if either one of us would have known that Francis had an injury going into the fight. I mean, you picked Francis. Would you have picked Francis had you known that he had an injury? No. See, when I saw the knee pads, I felt even more confident that Srogan was going to win. After the first after the first two rounds, if if if, you know, we had some some way to, to know and we're making our picks and. If, if I tell you going into the third round 
Surreal's up too. Are you going to pick Francis? Absolutely not, man. I, like I said, like as soon as he walked out there with those knee pads, I was like, uh oh. <laughs> like everything I thought about everything I thought about how this fight was going to go and why I liked Francis in the fight was out the window. Because out the yeah. Because Surreal Gone is the more well-rounded guy, right? And the more overall Absolutely. skilled guy. I mean, that was we all understood that going into the fight. But my whole point was Francis and Gano isn't Derek Lewis. Like he, right. they both knock people out, but Francis is explosive athletically in a way where I didn't feel like Francis and Gano could be picked apart the same way that Derek Lewis was. You add that injury into the equation, and we saw it in the first two rounds. Like he wasn't explosive at all. Yeah, that that completely changes my pick in that scenario. I'm not even entertaining the idea that Francis is going to win that fight if you tell me that there's an injury, or if we had made the pick literally after Francis had walked to the octagon, and I saw those knee pads, I would have picked gone at that point. Right. So then you go into the, the third round. Francis is already looks tired to me. After two rounds of, uh, of trying to get to Surreal, Francis looks tired to me. So if you would have tried, if you would have tried to tell me that Francis is about to win these next three rounds with grappling, I would have been like, you are insane. And the fact that he did that with yeah. how tired that was with injuries, with all that, uh, th that first slam. I mean, it was so it was so shocking to me, the fact that he just slammed him like that. <laughs> Um, and then just controlled him for the for the uh, for the next like three minutes or however long it was. I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. But you know, I just thought it was a lazy kick that's thrilled through. Um, he's not gonna do that for this for for the next two rounds. I mean, I was I was like, okay, Francis got a round. But in the fourth round, when Francis started shooting for takedowns, and Thrill was actually having trouble like getting yeah. Francis off of him, and then eventually Francis got him down. I'm I'm thinking like, wow. You know, because whenever they were standing and striking, Surreal was winning. But when Francis got a hold of him, Francis was winning. So now, fourth round's over. This fight's tied up. Now I'm like, if Surreal can just keep this standing, he wins. And then in the fifth round, uh, he initiates a takedown. And then Fran he's in Francis' guard. So I'm like, okay, this is good. This is good. He uh, And then he goes for this, for this heel hook or, or for a leg lock or whatever the case was. And I just, to this day, I don't understand why. Yeah. I mean... Thrill had been so perfect in terms of not making any mistakes, but I guess those last three rounds, um, we saw the the experience gap, the UFC championship experience gap. I guess you know Francis just knew what to do, and uh, Thrill was the one that was making mistakes. Man, uh, that mistake in the fifth round, I think that's something that he's gonna that's gonna haunt him for a while because Thrill, you know, for how much we're gonna talk about how Francis controlled him on the on the ground, Thrill. What was one mistake, one move away from still becoming heavyweight champion of the world? Yeah. Which is, it's crazy, but Surreal was that close to becoming champion, and I feel like that's going to haunt him. But um, props to Francis, man, uh, for that performance. What a gutsy performance. And, you know, we knew that Surreal was going to be the uh, more skilled, and we saw that on the feet. But at the end of the day, Francis just outwilled him. He outharded him. Yeah. It all came down to heart, and Francis just had that over surreal on that night. Yeah, I mean, you use the word warrior, right? I think that's uh, yeah, like the perfect term to describe how Francis Ngannou won that fight because uh, he was getting beat on the feet. Uh, he was nobody expected him to grapple, and that's how he was getting it done. And then even with that, in the fifth round, he was at a big disadvantage until Surreal Gone decided to to go with the heel <sighs> hook. And look, I, I'm not saying that that in my mind it's a guarantee that gone wins that fifth round if he doesn't. But if you want to put a percentage on it, I mean, I'm probably like 80% gone wins the fifth round if he doesn't do that, right? Like it's a really high percentage right. 
in my mind that Don's able to close that fifth round out in an, in an advantageous way for him on the scorecards. So yeah, massive mistake for Cyril Gaon. And you know, that's, that's somewhat of a testament again to the fact that he's never really faced any adversity uh, in his, in, in this incredible run that he's been on. And again, for Francis Ngannou, the guy knows nothing but adversity, not just inside the octagon, but his entire life has been him facing adversity and coming through it on the other side. And and this was no different. So, uh, look, I, I Francis Ngannou is an incredible story. You're absolutely right. I, I hope that there is a movie at some point on on Francis Ngannou because it's it's it, it deserves. I think to to that story deserves to be told uh, on that kind of scale. And at the same time, dude, I Cyril Gaon's going to be a UFC heavyweight champion at some point. Like the other side of this yeah. is he's still a really young guy that hasn't been on this in this sport very long, and he lost to, you know, one of the. I mean, Francis Gaon is an all-time great, and again, he lost to a great warrior. But Gaon is going to get better. He's going to learn from this, and he, you know, to write him off would would be absolutely ridiculous as well. Like that is going to be a champion. He will have a uh, an actual championship belt around his waist, not that interim thing, but. Yeah, that's that's a that's a future champion that I hope, you know, because of the political side of this whole Francis Ngannou Dana White thing, he's not in some way like penalized long term. I hope that he's he's back in a a title equation uh, at some point. But yeah, I I think uh, we're still talking about the the next best heavyweight in the world. Yeah, man, I I hope uh, that it's not going to take Cyril like four or five fights to get back just because he had a title fight. Um, I'm under the impression that it's that he's going to have to face a murderer's row, not because um, these guys aren't good or or anything. But I feel like the absolute worst matchups that Cyril could possibly face, Dan is going to give him. So I remember I texted you right after this was over and I feel like we were on the same page on it anyway. I was like, Cyril is going to fight Curtis Blaze next. The best wrestler in the division. Uh, I mean, the fight makes sense already, but the fact that Surreal didn't get the job done and the, the reason why was because of wrestling, Dana's going to put him in there with the best wrestler in the heavyweight division, the guy with the, most, with the most takedowns in heavyweight history. And now, like, you see more people talking about it. I think Curtis Blades actually uh, made a post about it. So uh, I do feel like that fight's going to be next, five-round main event. You know, I feel like Surreal, I mean, you, you told me this on the last podcast. This was his fifth fight in a short span of time. Like, yeah. I guess in a, just over a year, he's had five fights. So maybe Surreal will take some time off. Maybe Surreal will work on his uh, on his wrestling, and maybe we'll, he'll come back a, a, a completely better version of himself. But, you know, that matchup, you know, I think, you know, I think that's definitely going to be next, Surreal and Curtis Blades. It makes sense. And then, you know, he lost that fight just with because of wrestling. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, co-main event, we uh, we had a trilogy fight. We maybe will uh, getting ready for a fourth matchup. We'll see how the UFC decides to play this thing. But uh, for the third time in a row, Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno absolutely delivered. I saw a lot of people on my Twitter timeline completely disagreeing with the outcome here. And a lot of people feeling like Brandon Moreno was completely robbed. I didn't feel like that whatsoever. I, I Look, I, I do think that was a really good fight. I think that was a really close fight. But... I had Figueredo winning on my card. Uh, so, I, I mean, if it had gone the other way, I don't think it would have been a, a terrible thing. But uh, to, to say that this was a robbery to me is is crazy. This was a great fight that could have gone either way. And I thought they got it right because I, I had I had Figueredo winning the fight as well. Yeah, this was one that was uh, really, really close. And 
uh, a robbery either way, I didn't agree with it all. I mean, I felt like both guys deserved to win. Uh, neither guy deserved to lose. And just, you know, there had to be a winner. There had to be a loser. Um, it's good that it wasn't a draw again because, you know, we, we could have saw that again. And that just would have been terrible. But, um, you know, I went back and, and rewatched it and just, you know, I was so impressed with how Figueredo was able to go the distance, how he was able to take some of the big shots that Moreno was given. Um, Moreno is very skilled, and Figueredo knew after the second fight that he had to go and he had to add some stuff to the arsenal. But, uh, you know, for Figueredo to come out, uh, chop the legs, uh, and, uh, bring in the, the, the grappling into the equation, and then um, when, the, when the time, when the opportunity, opportunity presented itself for Figueredo to land something big, he landed something big and he didn't go crazy and try to finish the fight. He kind of just, you know, landed the big shots and kind of laid back. Um, and, and it helped him, man. I felt like Figueredo uh, looked great on the scale. Uh, he had a lot of energy and, uh, in the fight, he looked great when all five rounds, I felt like when it was over, he probably could have went two more rounds. So I was very impressed by what I saw from Figueredo, but not to take anything away from Moreno because he looked great. Also, um, he he probably could have did a better job of checking the leg kicks because they were they were starting to add up, but it, it wasn't really hindering his movement. You know, he was still moving yeah. and uh, in his face, in Figueroa's face, landing a lot of big shots. This was a very tightly contested fight. It could have went either way. Uh, I think at the end of the day, Figueroa landing those uh, those big shots uh, kind of gave him the edge. You know, he yeah. he had two knockdowns and some pivotal moments of the rounds, and uh, that gave Figueroa the the edge. I feel, and uh, you know, I feel, either guy could have won, yeah. but you know, on this night it was Figueroa. And I hope they, they do it again. I think, um, you know, they're, they're one, 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 one win, one loss, one draw for, for them. So I feel like you have to do one more and then uh, you move on. But uh, I don't feel like it, the story's over yet. I don't feel like you can move on from this yet because they're tied. I feel like you have to do one more for, for all the marbles. Yeah, I, I would love to see it again. They've all been great fights. Uh, and look, I think in that division as well, like what else makes sense? What else even brings that same level? Like, Sometimes you get to a trilogy fight and, and you're somewhat glad that it's over, right? Just to move on uh, and and get some some new blood and and to you know in some way just go in a different direction. I guess I don't I don't feel like we've arrived there yet. Like I'm not fatigued of Figueredo Moreno yet, uh, and part of that is because like this one was so close. Uh, there was controversy with the first one. We watched Brandon Moreno get a finish in the second. Like I'm not fatigued of the matchup yet, and I think the other part of this is I don't feel like there is a clear cut next guy either. I mean, I, I think you could make the case for a few different guys as far as who the next challenger would be for the belt. So, I mean, if you wanted to, to play this thing out and, and go one more time, uh, the fans love it. It makes sense for the UFC. Get some fights figured out where you can establish a true number one contender. Uh, nothing else to me moves the needle as much as a fourth fight between these two guys. Like, I, I, I would love to see, like, Kaikar France if, if I had to make a decision as to who... who else would get that opportunity, but I don't like Kaikar France against Figueredo more than I like a fourth matchup with, uh, with Moreno. Yeah. I mean, like you said, there's a, a few guys that you can put in that position. Like Pantoja's looked great. Um, Askar Askarov looks great. Kaikar France, but they're all kind of like in this, in this area, kind of bunched together. No one's yeah. really separated themselves from the pack. I mean, granted Kaikar France beat Cody Garbrandt and if Cody would have won, Cody would have been the next guy in line, but no one has, you know, really separated themselves. Um, Askar Askarov has a fight with Kai Car France, and I, the winner of that probably will be the, the number one guy, the number one contender. But for now, um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing that's there's nothing that's better than a fourth fight between Figueroa and Moreno. I think yeah. 
you do um, Askarov and, and Kaikar France, and then you you put uh, Moreno and Figueredo uh, some point this summer or something. Uh, because you know, I th- I feel like the fans showed how invested they were into this fight. Because you know, I mean, I mean, on fight day, you hear the the massive cheers for for Moreno and the the boos for Figueredo. I feel like no flyweight fight has ever brought us that. <laughs> and you know, now we're at the we're at this third fight, and Moreno's so lovable, and uh, you know, Figueredo, you know, him and his team have become the heels of this situation, and yeah. they're just getting booed. So I, you know, I feel like since the fans are so invested in this fight, and the fights have been so great. Why not? Just just go one more time. I mean, the fights have been the fights have been fantastic. So just let it happen one more time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other part of this is, and I'll just use like the DC Stipe trilogy as an example. I was really excited for the third fight, but I was also excited that we were going to be finished with it by the time we got to the third fight. And I think part of that is because it stretched for such a long period of time, right? Like yeah. uh, there was a massive gap in the amount of time from their first matchup to the third matchup. The three fights with Figueredo and Moreno have all taken place in less than a year. So, like, we don't have this massive amount of time where it's like, let's move on already, right? We're, we're losing years of our life with this trilogy or what, you know, I don't even know what you call a fourth fight. Um, but, yeah, like, it's it's all happened in such a short amount of time. and They've all been good fights where, you know, it's it hasn't stretched out and drawn out over the course of, like, years where it's just like, okay, I'm excited for this, but at the same time, I'm excited for this to be over so you can move on and, and go in a different direction. So that's the other part of it for me where I'm totally okay with this fourth fight as opposed to maybe some other situations. Yeah, like Stipe in D.C., it took a year for, for from one to two and then another year from two to three. Yeah. And then we've had three fights of Figueredo and Moreno in, in, in one year. Like, it, it's it's insane. And all these fights have absolutely delivered. And, and you know, people aren't even thinking, like, it's one one one. I just want to see one more. Like people are saying, I want a best of seven. Like, why not? Like, let's, let's just yeah. throw them in there for, for, for a best of seven. So, like, no one's asking for this, these fights to be done. Like, no one's sick of them. Maybe the UFC is getting to that point. But, you know, the fans yeah. are loving these fights. The, the fans are loving to see uh, the, the personalities come out more of Moreno and Figueredo. Um, both of these guys are really saving the flyweight division. And the UFC thought that they were going to need Cody Garbrandt. Like, you don't need to have, to have Cody Garbrandt in, in this division anymore. These these fights, these flyweight fights have been amazing. Kai Car France, uh, you know, Brandon Moreno Figueredo, Askar Askarov, Manel Kopp, um, I, you know, so many guys um, are, are coming in uh, here in the flyweight division. So I think pretty soon it'll get to the respect that it re- that it deserves. And we'll, we'll be yeah. talking about the flyweight division like we do uh, all the rest of these divisions. Yeah, no doubt. So in our picks, uh, we were both on the Davison Figueredo side of that matchup, which we both got right. In the main event, I had Francis Ngannou, you had Cyril Ghosn, uh, so that's five points in my direction. You did get points in the Nurmagomedov-Cody uh, Stamen matchup. I was on the Stamen side of things, and that was really impressive from Said Nurmagomedov. Good lord, that thing escalated quickly and was over in the blink of an eye. Holy cow. Man, you know, I picked Nurmagomedov. Uh, you know, I knew he was good, but I didn't know he was like that. I mean, I guess that's why you put these guys together, because Cody Stamen... Is uh he's one of those guys in the bandway division who's been around, who's fought a lot of the tough guys. So you beat a guy like that, you kind of you know you enter the discussion you know for the for to have a number next to your name. But the way he did it, man, uh you know in the in the pre-fight video package, Cody Stamen was talking about how he wanted this this fight to stay on the feet, how he wanted a spectacular knockout. 
20 seconds in, he's shooting for a takedown. And then Nurmagomedov is just wrapping up his neck and submitting him. Like, yeah. it just goes to show. He, he was very, um, very creative on the feet, spinning back kicks. Uh, you know, he was darting in and out, knew how to manage distance. Um, like I said about the bandweight division, man, every fight card, it just seems like there's another guy that comes in and you're just like, wow, you got to have to watch out for him. Like, this bandweight division is so loaded. And now you add in Nurmagomedov, who just finished a tough guy in Cody Stammen in 47 seconds. It's, uh, it's, it's incredible, man. Yeah, 135 is awesome. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, 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 look, I'm speaking of, like, how it takes a while to, like, the, the Aljamain sterling Peter Yawn situation, right? Like, if that were to go to a trilogy, because we're still oh, waiting man. on the sequel. Like, if that were to go to a yeah. trilogy, we, and, and especially when you look at how stacked that division is, we would all be like, come on, like, let's, this division is being held up because of this. And, and to reference, again, the conversation we just had at Flyweight, not the situation at all whatsoever. So um, the other fight I wanted to mention, we both were on the Michelle Pereira side of uh, of uh, his matchup with Andre Fialo. Uh, pretty impressive debut for Fialo. That was a, a really fun fight. And, uh, you know, I, I, it doesn't maybe move the needle in terms of, like, talking about title opportunities or anything like that. But it, I really enjoyed that matchup. I really enjoyed that fight. And uh, I thought it, it delivered from an entertainment standpoint. Yeah, and I think the matchup, the the, the styles of both guys, kind of you kind of just knew that this fight would be fun. Uh, you know, Fialo had no fear in uh, pressuring uh, Michelle Pajeda, and you know, for the first round, it looked like you know Pajeda might have been in trouble, but um, uh, Pajeda was able to land something big in the second round, and uh, kind of just turned you know the tide of the fight. And you know, from there, Pajeda kind of had his way. But you know, Fialo really uh, made a good showing for himself in this fight. For it, for it to be his UFC debut, he showed no fear. And he made a really exciting fight for the fans. And I think that's what you want to do if you're not um, coming out on top. So uh, for, for his USC debut, I feel like it was a great, great performance. All right, man. You ready to make some picks for UFC Fight Night Strickland versus Hermanson? Yeah, man. Ready to do it. Um, I'm going right. first, by the way. For the first time in a long time, I am the leader on the scoreboard, which, look, it's, surpri- it's as surprising to me as anyone. So <laughs> this is like uncharted waters, man. I, like, I don't know what, what to expect here. Uh, I mean, <laughs> absolutely. It is uncharted waters. It's been a while. I mean, I feel like it was probably like summer of last year. The last time I was ahead on the scoreboard. So uh, it's it's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Picking first is going to be uh, foreign territory. So anyway, this is uh, this is a really good fight card. Um, again, it may not. Uh, be loaded with superstars, but I'm pretty excited for uh, the fight card overall. And it begins in the featherweight division. We have Julian Arosa and Steven Patterson. Oddshark.com has Julian Arosa as a minus 274 favorite, plus 225 for Steven Patterson. This is uh, Julian Arosa for me all the way. Uh, you know, I, you know, I thought about it. You know, I felt like this might have been one of those fights that you kind of go opposite. But, you know, this is uh, Julian Russell for me as well. I think uh, I'm not going to say he's light years better, but, you know, there's just a clear uh, I think he's a clear level ahead. But, you know, Steven, Steven Peterson, he's, he's tough. We've got to give him credit. But uh, Rosa, I think he's just he's got it right now. He's tough. Um, I just kind of feel like, you know, Julian Rosa is kind of a long guy. I just feel like his length here will be uh, somewhat troublesome for uh, for Steven Peterson. Yeah, you know, I feel, I feel like, you know, he's had some really tough fights. You know, he uh, that Sung Woo Choi fight, was, that's kind of one of those fights that you kind of think look at and you're like, oh, man, he got his ass whooped. Yeah. But, you know, he, he came back against uh, Charles Jordan, who just had a really phenomenal fight against Andre Yule. 
comes out in that fight and uh and uh Darsh chokes him. So uh he's been around a long time. So, you know, I think the the experience and you know the fights that he's had, I think this is kind of a step down from those from that competition. So uh I think Russell can get this one done. All right, fight number two on this main card is, uh, I mean, as as entertaining a fight for me, I guess, as there is on the card as we head to the middleweight division, will a fight that should have taken place in the reality television world. It is the matchup we all deserved but didn't get. It is the tough winner, Brian Battle, against Treshawn Gore, who wasn't able to finish the season because of an injury. But Treshawn Gore is a minus 170 favorite, plus 140 for the tough champion, Brian Battle. I thought Treshawn Gore was the best during the show. I thought he was going to win the show. Uh, and, you know, again, unfortunately, the injury took place and, and he wasn't able to, to finish. But uh, I love that we're going to get this matchup. I will say, you know, Brian Battle's kind of been the underdog the whole way. And he keeps answering the bell, which also makes this a, a, an awesome matchup and and. Uh, adds to the intrigue of it, but uh, yeah, I, I throughout the show I felt like Treshawn Gore was the guy to beat, and uh, I still feel that way as they get ready for this matchup. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely thought uh, throughout the show that Trey Gore was the was the guy. Um, just no one was able to take his power, and it, it showed in the in the two fights that he had uh, on the show. Uh, I felt like he was definitely going to be on his way to beating uh, Brian Battle because you know I just didn't feel like Battle would be able to take his power. But like you said. Um, He's, he's kind of been the underdog, Brian Battle, but, you know, even in these fights, he's had to overcome some sort of adversity. Um, so, you know, this one, I'm not going to say it's tough for me because, you know, the injury that Trey Gore had, you know, it's kind of, you know, makes me wonder how he's going to look on fight day. Um, is he going to try to be explosive and, and kind of gas himself out if he's not able to uh, knock Brian Battle out? But I, I kind of uh, feel like his power is just it's just too much. Uh, so I feel like uh, my pick will go with uh, Trey Gore. All right, on the same side of fights one and two of this main card, which takes us to fight number three. And, uh, oh, reload. There we go. Fight number three, we have Sam Alvey and Brendan Allen uh, fighting at, uh, by the way, this says they're fighting at uh, 205. Uh, so uh, I don't know if that's uh, where this is happening or, or it's a, a misprint, but it says it's happening at 205. Brendan Allen is a minus 400 favorite plus 325 for Sam Alvey. Uh, look, Brendan Allen is a, uh, a ranked fighter in this sport. Sam Alvey is, is a, a tough out for sure. Uh, Brendan Allen is so well-rounded, and I think we were all surprised at the, uh, the knockout that he uh, or the finish that uh, he just experienced. It was one of the biggest upsets of last year, but uh, yeah, I think this is a big bounce back for Brendan Allen. Yeah, man. Uh, it was originally supposed to be Phil Haas, uh, Phil, Phil Haas and Sam Alvey. Uh, Phil Haas had an injury, uh, I, I believe, at the beginning of this week. And then uh, Brendan Allen stepped in and uh, instead of having to cut weight, they just agreed on 205. So, uh, you know, kind of want to with with this being short notice for Brendan Allen, you know, you kind of want to give Sam Alvey the, the respect that he's been training for this fight. Uh, he's had a full camp and all that. But um, I do feel like Brendan Allen's probably been in camp, not in camp, but he's been training. Um, that last off against Chris Curtis, he probably felt like he kind of dropped the ball a little bit. So he wants to get back in there and have a really, really good performance. So, um, and he's, he's very skilled. Um, Sam Alvey's a veteran, but I think, you know, with Brendan Allen's, Brendan Allen's skill, I think he'll be able to get this done, especially without having to cut any weight. So, uh, my pick was, is with Brendan Allen as well. Yeah. And he's not that far removed from that fight, right? That was in December, I believe, wasn't it? The Chris Curtis, Brendan Allen matchup. Yeah, that, that was the last card of uh, 2021 in December, okay. so yeah. Okay, there you go. 
All right, uh, we have welterweights Shavkat Rachmanov. I think I nailed yeah. that, by the way. Yeah, and, you did uh, know that. <laughs> and Carlton Harris. Um, Rachmanov is 14-0, and 0, by the way. Uh, Carlton Harris is on a five-fight win streak. Oddshark.com has Rachmanov as a minus 225 favorite, plus 188 for Carlton Harris. Um, I, I'm going with the uh, undefeated fighter here, continuing his winning ways. Uh, I've been impressed with him. Uh, to this point, and uh, you know, I think he's he's maybe a couple fights away, maybe one big performance away from really elevating himself. Maybe this is that opportunity. We'll see how this fight plays out. But uh, Rachmanov for me on the fight card. Yeah, man, it's hard to go against Rachmanov here. Um, I think like his performances have been nothing short of spectacular. Uh, the way he's been able to control guys, how exciting that he is. Um, I feel like he'll struggle to get a finish uh, with the way Carlson Harris is. Uh, both guys are, are pretty good on the ground, so uh, I think it'll just be a battle of positioning. Uh, but I really like, you know, I feel like uh, Rachmanov is kind of, he, he, he's big, big for the division. So uh, uh, I think he'll outmuscle him and kind of have his way with him. So uh, I don't think it'll be easy. I think he, he might face some adversity, but I think uh, Rachmanov is, uh, he's on the rise. So my pick will be with Rachmanov. All right. Uh, on the same side of the first four of six matchups for UFC Fight Night, Strickland Hermanson. Our co-main event takes place at middleweight. It is Puna Soriano and Nick's, Nick Maximov. Oddshark.com has uh, Soriano as a minus 200 favorite, plus 155 for Maximov. I think this has the opportunity to be one of the most exciting fights on the entire card. Um, I love Soriano's style. I, he's a ton of fun to watch. Uh, I feel like every time he's in the octagon, you feel like there's a highlight waiting to happen. And uh, I'll take Soriano getting the finish in this one. Yeah, Soriano is is really good. Like, you could see the potential that he's had in his fights, uh, you know, coming up. Uh, he slipped against uh, Brendan Allen. But, you know, Brendan Allen is very, very talented, very, very skilled. Um, that might have been a fight that he might have been, you know, he might have took too soon. Um, and I think this is, uh, you know, a step back from a guy like Brendan Allen. But, uh you know, and in that fight, you know, he kind of got tired. He, I think he thought that he was going to, you know, get Brendan Allen out of there early. Um, but because, uh, you know, a lot of his fights end early. So, I mean, yeah. but when you enter that upper echelon of competition like, like a Brendan Allen, you kind of have to give him the respect that, you know, he, he might not get out, go out in the in the first round, in the first couple of seconds. You know, you might have to land something in the later stages, you know. So, um I think with this fight with Maximov, I think it's a good stylistic matchup. I think both guys are kind of going to just meet in the middle and just kind of go at it. Nick Maximov is training partners with Nick Diaz and uh, Nate Diaz. So you kind of know the kind of style that he has. And, uh, you know, Soriano's always down for a good scrap. So, and I think if, I think Nick Maximov might try to take this to the ground, but I think Soriano will be kind of, uh, he'll be aware of that um, if he starts to piece him up. So, uh, my pick's also going to go with Soriano, man. Uh, I, I kind of tried to t talk myself into picking pick Maximovs <laughs> just now, but yeah. uh, couldn't do it. So it's going to be Soriano for me. All right, that takes us to our main event, and I'm really excited about this one, uh, and we'll uh, we'll talk about the matchup itself. But uh, anytime Sean Strickland is in the octagon, I mean, I think, uh, I think it was Michael Bisbing on a broadcast. They called him a psychopath, uh, and in the most yeah. respectful way, uh, I think he is spot on. Uh, Sean Strickland's a lot of fun to watch in the octagon. And when you look at what he's accomplished in this run that he's been on and now getting this opportunity against an established middleweight that is uh, a dangerous guy and a different threat than some of the guys that he's faced recently, I think this is the, the perfect matchup to potentially 
uh, put Sean Strickland in a a title type picture, or for Jack Hermanson, who's uh, you know kind of up and down. I think he's uh, he's two and two over his last four against top ten guys uh, across the board. So I, I love this matchup. Sean Strickland is a minus one ninety five favorite, plus one seventy for Jack Hermanson. Um, I I just think for me, it is uh, it's Sean Strickland's just Terminator type style. Uh, he's going to go forward. He's, you know, the psychopath, if you will, like he's, he's just going to control this fight. And I, I don't think that, um, Jack Hermanson is going to have many opportunities to get this fight where he wants it to be. I think Sean Strickland controls where the fight takes place. And because of that, it is Sean Strickland's fight to win. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this one's tough, um, because, you know, Sean Strickland's been on this big role. You know, he's beat Uriah Hall. You know, he's beat a lot of the, you know, Brendan Allen, all these really tough, talented guys. Um, I, but I think that Jack Hermanson brings uh, brings something to the table that, you know, not many middleweights on the way up will bring. And that's just like a well-rounded skill set. You know, uh, the fact that he can strike and he can take this fight to the ground. Um, he can be, he can control this fight and everything. Uh, his last win against Emma Shabazi, and he kind of had his way with him. Uh, but, you know, Sean Strickland's just like he's a different kind of guy. You know, he's a, he's a, he's the type of guy that we haven't seen in the UFC before. Like all of these guys are crazy. Like to do this sport, you have to be so you have to be crazy in some way. But like Sean Strickland is like a different type of crazy. Like he's it, it, it's just different. Like there's something something in his head, something in his brain that just doesn't it, that doesn't add up. You know, he's, like, he's the leader um, of the crazy. Right. Like he's, yeah, he's at the top like, of the mountain. Yeah. yeah in a, in a good way. Mountain. Like, like a, yeah, like it's. Yeah, in a, I love in a good way. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's crazy to even say like it, it, in a good way that someone's that insane and for it to be in a good way. But um, I do feel like uh, Sean Strickland is going to be more skilled. Uh, he's going to be talking to Jack during the fight, you know, just saying some outlandish things to him, kind of like how Kevin Holland is, but just in a in a different way. Um, a less playful way, so, right? <laughs> Yeah, a less playful way. He's absolutely serious about the, about everything he's talking about. He's not going. He's not going to be laughing. Like he's going to be saying some outrageous stuff. Yeah. And Kevin Holland may say like, he wants to kill you, but he's laughing at the same time. Sean Strickland's going to say he wants to kill yeah. you, but like he probably uh, mostly means it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I I like Jack. I like his style. Um, I kind of will think back to his fight with uh, Marvin Vittori and kind of feel like this fight will be kind of similar, uh, except Sean Strickland is is more of a uh, is a better striker, but he's less of a grappling threat. So right. if Jack Hermanson can get this fight to the ground, it'll be uh, it'll be his world. But if Sean Strickland can keep this standing, I think Sean will uh, have his way. But I do expect this fight to be a war. Um, I said all this because I really I really want to go opposite you here uh, because we haven't went opposite this whole time. But you know, I really feel like this is going to be a Sean Strickland win. So my pick's going to go with Sean Strickland. I, right. I, I tried it, man. I really did. Right. I tried it. I, I just couldn't get myself to do it. Playing it safe. You tried to talk yourself into a couple of those. and uh, I did. I really yeah. did. Because it was one of those things where I, I knew in my mind where I was going on all these. But, yeah. you know, I thought maybe on one of them you were going to go opposite, but you, you didn't. So uh, I just was like, okay, do I really want to give this a shot? And, you know, since I'm down right now, uh, I, granted, it's only two points, but since I'm down right now, I'm just gonna you know play it safe for for now. I I mean like before I never before I even looked at the odds, I I was solid across the board on these. I mean I feel like if you forced me to go opposite one just for the sake of going opposite, I, it would probably be Jack Hermanson against Sean Strickland. Exactly. Uh, the rest of them I don't I don't even know that I would really entertain it. 
because uh, I, I mean, yeah. again, not saying that there aren't good matchups, but I feel pretty confident across the board with with the other picks. And if if you force me to go opposite on one, this would be the one. But even with this one, I, I still feel pretty good about the Strickland side of it. So it's it's not even like the the coin flip type scenario in my mind. But it should be a fun fight. Yeah, I mean, I would not be surprised to see Jack Hermanson get this fight to the ground and get a submission over Sean Strickland. But, you know, yeah, it, it's just one of those things where where Sean Strickland's on the rise. Um, you know, he's got skill. I mean, we talk about how crazy he is, but he is a very skilled fighter. Um, Jack Hermanson, we've seen him stumble, but it, it, it's against some of the best guys. But he's tasted defeat. Um, you know, how does how does he look going into a fight with a guy who's got a good gas tank, who can keep this fight on the feet? Um, can he get this fight to the ground? That's my that's my question. Um I don't know. Uh, you know, Sean Strickland has proved to be pretty solid with his takedown defense, but um, you know, I wouldn't like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Jack Commander got this done. But you know, for for right now, it just seems like it's Sean Strickland's time to get to that upper echelon, upper echelon of the division. Yeah. By the way, Miles John, uh, Miles Johns is on this uh, this card in the prelims, which uh, I know we were both really impressed by him the last time he was in the octagon. Yeah, this is a uh, little Yoel Romero. I mean, he, he look, he, he's got the body of a Greek god, and he's going to go out there, wrestle you, and uh, land big shots. So uh, if you're familiar with Yoel Romero, then that's what uh, Miles Johns is for sure. I love that. That's that's the perfect description. <laughs> I'm going to start calling him Lil Yoel now. So uh, thank you for that. And by the way, we're a week away from the next pay-per-view card. We were just talking about, like, the star power of UFC 270. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or the lack of, I guess, like, you know, from top <laughs> right. to bottom. Uh, first of all, it's Israel Adesanya, Robert Whitaker too. Derek Lewis, Taitui Vasa is your co-main event. And then we have Derek Brunson, Jared Cannonier as the third best fight on the card. Yeah. So, and then you have, you have, uh, Bobby Green on this card and we know how excited he Rast. is. Yeah, against Hackrass. Yeah. Uh, you got Kyler Phillips on this main card and you know how, how talented of a fighter that he is. And then Casey like, O'Neal, like the Alex Perez. The, the prelims look great. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Arlovsky, uh, yeah. Casey O'Neal, Alex Perez, Matt Schnell. And then the early prelims. Like how good is Alexander Hernandez versus uh, Renato Moicano? Like that is a great match. Great Carlos Albert. Like, okay, we know that we, – we know what we saw in January. We know what we saw with 270. But this, this isn't even like – one of the better cards that you could have put on, but this is still a like a stacked card in my mind. Yeah, but two seventy was nowhere was nowhere close to even this. Yeah, yeah. This <laughs> and, isn't and this isn't even like as good as October, November, or December because we had right. three in a row that were just like all time great. This isn't Absolutely. even as good as those, and it is miles better than what we watched two weeks ago. Absolutely, like uh, Michelle Pajeda and Andre Gallo for how good that fight was. I think that's an early prelim fight on this card. Probably, yeah. Uh, uh, Nurmaga Madoff and Cody Stamen, that's a prelim fight. Yeah. But those, these are, those were fights that were on the main card. Not to take anything away from them, but just like the name value and all that right. stuff. There's more, there's more names, there's more stuff to love on this, on this fight card. Yeah. They definitely are, are trying to give, you know, Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker, you know, it's due, um, with, with stacking the card the way they did. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Well, I will be picking first next week as well because we are on the same side of all six fights this weekend. I love this uh, I love this main card, though, as we just described. I think it's going to be a fun card, some pretty good matchups, fun fights at least, and uh, UFC 271 is right around the corner, my friend. Uh, enjoy Saturday. I will obviously be in touch uh, with you on Saturday, fight day, and uh, we will do it again next week. Yes, sir. Um, by the way, 
What are your thoughts on the uh, this NFL playoffs, this crazy, insane NFL playoffs that we've had <laughs> this this year? I hate doing the whole like this is the best ever thing because everybody does that and not everything is the best ever. It's I mean I think people blow that out of proportion, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find a, uh, another playoff run that has that's been more entertaining than you know across the board. Take fandom out of it, like. Just in terms of enjoying the NFL, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a, a playoff run that's been as good as as what we've watched the last two weekends. So, I've I've loved it. Yeah, man, all these games. You're at the edge of your seat. Uh, you really don't think like I'm thinking during that Bengals and Chiefs game. Like, okay, you know, this is great, but at some point, you know, Patrick Mahomes is going to do something great and they're yep. getting to the Super Bowl. And then when he threw the interception, you're just like, oh my god! Like, since he could actually do this, and to see them actually pull it off with such a young team, a young leader in Joe Burrow. Uh, you know, everything that they've had to go through, they, they upset the Titans, they upset the Chiefs. You know, it's it's crazy, man, because they were just in a in a in a situation with Andy Dalton and AJ Green and, and those guys, and they were kind of like a laughing stock in in the in the NFL. And now yeah. they're in the Super Bowl. You know, the Rams. You know, it's it for Matthew Stafford. You know, it's a great story. You know, he's been in Detroit, kind of and locked up. You know, who wants to be in Detroit? And then you come to LA in your first year and you get to the Super Bowl. It's 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 a great story for both teams, and I can't wait for the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's the Sunday. The Super Bowl is the Sunday following UFC 271. But I promise you, if Francis Ngannou was headlining UFC 271, <laughs> it would be taking place on a Sunday opposite the Super Bowl because uh, you know that's just how Dana White wants to do Francis Ngannou. Oh man, absolutely! That card would go head to head with the Super Bowl, and uh, would and he would blame Francis. Yes, that uh, yeah. the pay per view. Oh, you want to be a big time like, fighter? Go beat the Super Bowl. Oh, you didn't yeah, get the you, Super Bowl. You, you, you don't deserve to be paid. Absolutely. You're, like, you're not that big of a star, man. Yeah, like, you went head-to-head with the Super Bowl and you got right. the Sure. Sure, Dana. <laughs> oh, great stuff, man. All right. We will uh, we'll do it again next week. Yes, sir. Have a good one. Podcast is over.